Our second reading this morning comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, verses 21 through 26. If you would like to follow along, you can find this beginning on page 4 in the Bible in your pew. You have heard it said to those of ancient times, You shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you, if you are angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment. And if you insult your brother or sister, you will be liable to the council. And if you say, you fool, you will be liable to the hell of fire. So when you are offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother or sister, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are on the way to court with him, or your accuser may hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, and you will be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. This is the gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray together once again. Holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, Lord. You are our rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Jesus is preaching in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, you have heard it in ancient times, you shall not murder, and if you murder, you'll be liable to judgment. And he continues, but I say that you, if you are angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment, to the hell of fire. And if I'm anything like the disciples and you're anything like me, I have two immediate responses. The first is that I have already failed. Because from time to time, I've been known to be angry. The second response is to tell Jesus to slow down for a minute, because I'm pretty sure that we read and study and learn that he is also angry from time to time. In Mark 3, he looks around at anger with anger because he is grieving. In Matthew 23, he calls the scribes and Pharisees fools. He calls them this angrily. In two Gospels, he walks into the temple and begins to flip tables. And I assume that he is angry. So if it's not anger that Jesus is speaking against, what is it? Perhaps it is what we do with the anger that we most certainly have. Jesus continues preaching, when you are offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. Be reconciled and then come and offer your gift. Hmm. I invite you to come to Kansas City with me just for a brief story, for a moment. 
When I was living in Kansas City, I worked at a hospital. It was a large research university health system. You know the kind. It was large. In the department where I worked, I had a boss. She managed eight employees. I was one of those eight employees. And they provided support for 400 staff members in one department. You could say that my boss received a lot of email. A lot of email. So she developed a system. If you were on her team and you were sending an email, the subject line needed to begin with either the letter I, the letter A, or the letter U. The I stood for informational. This is an email that just contains something that you need to know. We'd write in the subject line, the letter I, followed by a colon, followed by payroll is complete. The A stood for actionable. This was an action, something that needed her response. You'd write in the subject line of the email, A, followed by a colon, followed by return contract by October 2nd. The U stood for urgent. The way my boss described this, urgent was for emergencies. You were only to use the letter U if it was actually urgent, if she needed to reply, if she needed to skip the other 100 emails in her inbox and respond to yours first. This system, it worked pretty well, except for my coworker, Sarah, who thought that everything was urgent. Don't get me wrong, Sarah is a friend. She is very good at her job, but everything was urgent. We'd get a let an email from Sarah, you, colon, call Dr. Smith back at your convenience. <laughs> this was deeply maddening to our boss. I remember a day that she pulled her, she pulled Sarah aside and said, Sarah, you is for emergencies. It's for things that need immediate attention, things that are of the utmost important. It makes the email a priority. It was not an hour later that Sarah sent an email to the whole team. You, colon, lunches in the break room. While the arrival of lunch is certainly important for the morale of the office, it is arguably not urgent. My boss had a point. If something is urgent, it's a priority, or maybe because it's a priority, it conveys urgence. It might be on a clock. It might be something that is just generally the priority. So when you are offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. Leave the gift, go. It's urgent. It's a priority. Leave your gift and go. Perhaps you have come to the altar from Galilee. From Galilee to the temple, it would have been a three to five day walk to come and worship God, to present your offering at the altar. You've made your way to the city, into the temple. It's bustling. You've brought your gift. It might be a grain offering or a coin offering. More than likely, it was a goat or a pigeon based on your socioeconomic status. You wait your turn. The liturgy begins. You are before God in worship, and all of a sudden, 
you remember. You remember that person back home who you wronged. You remember that relationship that's just still not right. You have come to worship to call on the face of God, heart open, receptive, and you remember. You remember the thing you've been working to move past, the one that you neatly folded and tucked away in the corner of your heart and mind. You remember the phone call, the one that remains unmade, or perhaps it remains unanswered. Even just the slight, the slight that happened across the conference room table yesterday. You remember the betrayal and the hurt because you are in the presence of God, and in the presence of God, nothing is hidden. We are at our most vulnerable. For some of us, that means we're at peace. And for others of us, that means the war, it rages on inside. If you remember, leave the gift. What Jesus is saying to the disciples is nearly impossible. You cannot just leave the valuable gift at the altar. It's nearly impossible. It's definitely humiliating. You can't walk out after the liturgy has begun in the middle of worship. Besides, what could be more important than worshiping God? But Jesus tells us it's urgent. It's a priority, this reconciling. You will remember that both the Old Testament and the New Testament scriptural witness it conveys to us this idea of right relationship with one another, human flourishing, creation flourishing. It's important to God. It's what God intended in the beginning. It's what will most certainly be there in the end. The whole scriptural witness testifies to this. I have a professor of Old Testament, however, who likes to remind his students that Jesus would have only had what we now call the Old Testament. Those were Jesus's scriptures. A Jew living in Palestine would have known these scriptures, would have known the prophets. And so perhaps Jesus is not remembering the anger. Maybe Jesus is remembering the prophet Amos. Amos 5 is the prophet Amos, the Lord speaking through Amos, saying, I hate your festivals. I don't like your assemblies. Any offering you've came to give, I will not accept it. Take away from me the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the melody of your harps, but let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Whatever you remember... Remember, Jesus is saying, the God who has called you to come and worship is also the God who calls you to love and care for one another, to flourish together in community. I'll invite you also to come with me to Atlanta, Georgia. The Reverend Fred Craddock is preaching, and he's talking about his friend. She said it happened when they were 10. She was well past 60 years of age, but she remembers it happened when she was 10. 
Her parents, her family, they were always talkative at dinner, carrying on. They were imperfect for sure, but they had a good time. She remembers dinner as a joyful occasion. And then one Sunday night, just before dinner, her parents got into it. She said, I'd never seen them like that. I'd never heard them talk that way. They were yelling, really. They were screaming at each other. Dinner time rolled around, and we all sat down, but no one said a word. For two weeks, nobody said a word at dinner. After those two weeks, my parents, they started being civil again, but they never talked about what happened and our home, it was never the same. Imagine that. It was never the same. Friends, it's not about the anger. It's about what you're doing with it. Is it festering? Are you tucking it away and pulling it out every once in a while? Is it keeping you from reconciliation? Or is it propelling you towards reconciliation. Leave your gift there before the altar and go. It's a priority. Leave your gift behind. It's not as important. Go. First, be reconciled. It's important here to note that forgiveness and reconciliation are not the same thing. We often conflate them because forgiveness is a part of reconciliation. But reconciliation involves a reckoning, involves an admission of wrongdoing, being willing to say what happened, and then moving into giving and receiving forgiveness, and then making restorative change. Restorative change to build trust, perhaps to rebuild trust, so that truth and mercy, peace and justice, that they may dwell together. Sounds like a tall order. Sounds like Jesus. Sounds like Amos. Let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Be reconciled. Do the work. Start the healing. Leave the gift at the altar because it could take a while. There's also the reality that we know, and that's that some reconciliations, they won't happen on this side of the grave. Perhaps the person we long to reconcile with is no longer here, or it is not safe or healthy for us to reconcile. It actually requires more than one party, so both parties have to consent to reconciling. And we also know the harsh reality that there are peoples and systems and histories that are waiting for reconciliation on this side of the grave to even begin. These are realities, but friends, there is hope too. The good news which gives us hope is that this Jesus who's telling us that this is urgent, that reconciliation is urgent, is the same Jesus who comes into the world to save it, to make things right, to complete the restoration. Through Jesus Christ, we are reconciled to God. So do the work. Do the work for your brother and sister 
Do the work with your brother and sister because Christ has already done the work for you. So, when you are offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there. Leave your gift there because this might take some time. Leave it there and go. First, be reconciled. Leave it there and go. This, this is urgent. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.